Well, hello, Zenfounder listeners. I'm Brooke Bergman-Parr, your relationship specialist and coach on the Zenfounder team. I'm really happy that you're here today taking time to listen. So before we dive into today's topic, which is sort of a juicy topic, maybe anxiety-provoking topic, depending on your history and or interest in the subject, I wanted to let people know about something pretty special that's happening December 8th through the 12th. It is a retreat for couples, specifically entrepreneurial couples, that yours truly and Dr. Sherry Walling and I will be facilitating. So when I say entrepreneurial couples, that means one or both members of the pair identifies as an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs face unique challenges to their relationship, and Sherry and I want to support entrepreneurs in having the best relationship possible, as you are part of our tribe, and part of having a solid business plan involves having healthy relationships supporting that business. As um, people with failed relationships can tell you, When relationships at home aren't going well, business tends to suffer, if not in the short term, in the long term, for sure. The retreat will be held at a luxury estate in Ojai, California, and it will be a long weekend of connection, mindfulness activities for couples, sensuality workshops, S-Factor classes led by yours truly, and different conversations designed to support your love growth, and expansion. Spots are extremely limited as we are keeping this to a limit of eight couples total, and the guest list is curated. So that means you need to let us know why you want to come and just tell us a little bit more about yourself. If you are interested in learning more, uh, please reach out to sherry at zenfounder.com. Again, that's S-H-E-R-R-Y at zenfounder.com. I really hope that you'll consider spending that time with us. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. So today we are going to talk about two issues related to the area of marriage and relationships uh, that are somewhat connected in the sense that they represent a shadow aspect of love and marriage. They are shadow aspects because, well, they are in the shadows. We don't really openly talk much about these issues. Polite society doesn't want to touch them. People don't really admit that these things are happening or that they can be a deep source of shame and even confusion. I would say confusion is maybe a big piece as well. 
And so the two issues that I'm going to be exploring a little bit today are the ideas of both affairs and open relationships. Now, I want to even recognize that the words affair, open relationship, or infidelity can bring the anxiety up in the room several notches. So I also just want to honor the fact that this might be an issue that could be triggering for you in the sense that it might have caused you or someone close to you a lot of very deep pain. I have a special skill of moderating my own anxiety as I walk through these waters and these issues, and I will do my best to shepherd you in this conversation, but just know that since this is a podcast episode, those skills can only translate so far in this format. So please be aware of your own body sensations and take a break if needed, or maybe just don't listen to this one. Or listen, <laughs> whatever whatever you're most comfortable with. It's all okay, whatever you need. So I've worked with folks both recovering from affairs, people divorcing because of affairs, people thinking about having affairs, folks in the middle of affair, and people with whom affairs have left scars on the family tree for generations, which I'm sure many of you are hearing stories about, you know, all the genetics testing that's happening that is exposing a lot of these infidelities, I guess, you know, that Uncle Bob was actually not your uncle, but dad, or, you know, all these different things, or, you know, finding out one's genetic inheritance was half of something that you didn't know you were, or, you know, all of these sorts of things. So I just want to acknowledge that these sorts of things can really bring up a lot of big feelings. And so again, just be aware of those. So I guess the generality, I would say, and I I wanna say that affairs and both open relationships are actually, they're not the same thing, but I have grouped them together for two reasons. One, they're a shadow, they're a shadow system, which means that they kind of operate in the shadows behind the scenes in terms of society and relationships. But then I also think that they are connected in the sense that they are a way of managing uh, the, quote, thirds or the other energies that might threaten the specialness of the dyad. The dyad being the pair, being the, you know, the relationship that you're probably thinking of when you're listening to this podcast. So as it relates to affairs, I find it helpful to identify that there is not um, a one-size-fits-all approach. In fact, what one couple may consider an affair, another couple might consider just normal human behavior. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) How can this be such a confusing issue? But I assure you that it does cause a lot of people a lot of confusion and consternation. But that's why communication about your individual preferences are super helpful here. Don't make assumptions. It's much, much better to have really clear expectations. And the clearer the expectations, obviously that points to a more secure attachment style. So part of what I want to explore in this episode are the different ways that we all manage our attachment, also known as safety needs. And what one person may need in an attachment bond may be very different than what another person needs. And here's the other thing, those needs can change over the course of a lifetime. In 
my last episode, I talked about grief and how it affects a marriage and or a relationship. And I think that this is one of those things, right, that our needs can change over the course of a lifetime. And our ability to continue having evolving conversations around the issue really speaks to our emotional strength and maturity. So a little bit of a science lesson, humans are pair bonders. <laughs> so in the animal kingdom, right, you see you know, when people mate, there's this sense of there is a there is a pair and they go together and there's this sense of that pair has some sort of a special bond. Now, not all animals are pair bonders. Uh, dogs are actually not pair bonders. Cats, not pair bonders. Lions, not pair bonders. But wolves are, interestingly enough. So there's lots of different animals that you know, have these different configurations, but humans are pair bonders, which means that we form a primary and I would say special attachment, usually to one other person kind of at a time. It isn't that we don't have other attachment figures. Um, in fact, you know, we all know the importance of the, the community and the social bonds, but it's that we have evolved to have a special someone with whom we go to when we need to feel like home. And the foundation for this attachment system gets laid pretty early. I'm talking in the first 18 to 36 months of life by our relationship with our primary caregiver. And the degree to which our primary caregiver honored both our needs for connection and separation creates sort of an imprint for the way we both give and receive love throughout our lives. Wonderfully and mercifully, though, psychotherapy and other healing modalities can help us shift these imprints towards a more, a more secure and individuated style. I myself have what's called an earned secure attachment, which means that you know, I used to be a little more avoidant. I can be avoidant if I am not careful, if I'm under stress, but I have an earned secure attachment through all the years of therapy that I've gotten. So it's wonderful. So the idea of an affair is some sort of violation of either the explicit or implicit container rules of the relationship. And by container, what I mean is how couples maintain that feeling of their special bond. So for a lot of couples, their sexual relationship is one of the primary ways in which the specialness of their bond is maintained in the sense that, quote, I don't do that with other people. So that's why infidelity very specifically can be so painful because it breaks the bubble that surrounds a couple. That idea comes from Stan Totkin. Uh, he, he looks at the biophysiology of attachment and he came up with this idea of the couple bubble, which I love. It's this idea of how do couples maintain that sense of us, right? And so healing from infidelity involves repairing that sense of safety around the relationship, healing the container. Whenever I'm working with a couple who's had some infidelity and they're married, I always encourage them to 
consider having some sort of a recommitment ceremony, some sort of vow renewal in order to reestablish that sense of we are a special unit. But today I really also kind of want to extend the idea of an affair to any behavior that people do in, in order to either Well, mostly to avoid intimacy with their partner. Either it's to avoid intimacy or to pursue the intimacy that they don't feel that they are getting. And you can actually be having an affair with uh, lots of different um, things and or situations, including your phone, some other technology. Some people even have affairs with substances. I've worked extensively with people in substance abuse and the way that they talk about their drug of choice, it's often like they're talking about a lover. It's very fascinating. In a way that substance becomes an attachment figure. It doesn't have to just be that explicit, like, oh, they slept with somebody else. Like the idea of an affair is just the per- your partner turning away and outside of the container to get either they're avoiding that intimacy or that connection, or they're trying to get something that they feel they can't get in the primary relationship. So any behavior that uh, your partner does that ignites either anger or sadness in you is perhaps pointing to some type of attachment injury. So that in your partner, there is either a lack of maybe availability or responsiveness. The third option is that the way you are communicating your need might be a little bit fuzzy and or uh, hard to read. The Gottman Institute did a post the other day about fuzzy bids, and I loved that term because they often talk about the idea of emotional bids or bids for intimacy, which is any type of behavior that, you know, you're reaching out to your partner and Couples who had a happy relationship positively respond to their partner's bids 86% of the time. So I, I get it. That's a lot. But the idea is to just keep paying attention. But there was this interesting idea of the fuzzy bid. <laughs> and the fuzzy bid is the request for attention or love or connection in a way that may be hard to understand. And so I would encourage you, if maybe you're, if you're the partner that does do, they do fuzzy bids, I would encourage you to get a little more clarity on what it is that you are wanting and desiring and to communicate that as clearly as possible with your partner. So a little bit about um, the research in terms of attachment styles and infidelity As one would predict, there is a correlation between insecure attachment and infidelity. There was a higher correlation uh, for the anxiously attached. If you were, in particular, if you were married to an anxiously attached partner, you were more likely to have an affair, which was, I thought was really interesting. And there's a whole host of reasons that I could go into why that might be possible. 
But then interestingly enough, during the dating phase, the avoidant people were more likely to to cheat. But once they're married, the avoidant people are all in. <laughs> so it's, it's really interesting how the different attachment styles interact with commitment and infidelity. So sometimes affairs are a result of needs in the relationship going unmet for too long, right? And so that was what I was saying before of there's a perception that I can't get my needs met in this relationship. And maybe there's some ambivalence about ending the relationship, right? There's there's still an attachment, some confusion. Uh, and so people will go outside the relationship, usually in order to get some type of either emotional or sexual need met, or they perceive that it's just, yeah, that it's just not available. And so they, so they go outside of the relationship. One thing though, that I would like to educate a lot of my female clients on is that, you know, there's this idea that I think a lot of women are afraid of, which is the uh, sex addict or Don Juan man. And I actually think that that particular gentleman is a lot rarer than we think. In my entire career, I've actually only worked with a couple of uh, clients who are recovering from, from being married to that type of a person. We, we hear a lot about that. But the reality is that men when they are reaching out sexually to their wives, they are reaching out emotionally. And I really encourage the ladies that I work with to see a man's sexual reaching out as an emotional reaching out. And the more you can connect sexuality with emotionality, the healthier your just general relationship is going to be because you're going to see it as a whole, a whole system that interacts with each other. So I want to uh, transition just a teensy bit over into the idea of the open relationship. Now, the open relationship is, I would say, almost a bigger shadow issue than the issue of affairs. I mean, I've had a number of clients that have reached out to me and sort of vetted me saying like, can you work with this? And will you, will you fire us if you are in this situation? Now, I, I don't, I, I do not. <laughs> I, I work with people wherever they are at in terms of whatever they are needing to moderate their intimacy, right? And I'm, I'm trying to be careful here with this one because the idea of open relationships, again, is super challenging to the status quo, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say that for some people, it works. Maybe not forever, maybe not for a lifetime, but like it is the thing that is okay for them. I think the biggest the biggest problem that I see with uh, purported open relationships is that somebody in the partnership usually, uh, not usually, I'm going to say is maybe not getting a need met in this relationship and is kind of pushing for an open an open relationship in this way that maybe makes the other partner pretty uncomfortable. And so then it's pretty one-sided, right? And so... So again, that can be the challenge. So I know couples in that situation, but I also know some couples where they kind of play with this idea 
and they let it turn them on, if you will. One couple I worked with, um, the female partner of the partnership was definitely uh, bisexual, and so they would often invite a third party into the mix, if you will. Um, and it was this very fun, sexy thing that they chose to do together. Now, again, going to my earlier point, they still were managing to maintain the specialness of that bond. And in some ways, open relationships, the trickiness, there has to be even more really, really challenging conversations about boundaries and comfort and what is going to maintain that sense of you and me, right? That couple bubble, even though maybe we're adding these other elements and other energies and specifically other people into the mix, those open relationships actually sometimes are having even more communication. And so so that to me is was always is always an interesting idea. You know, people think I think there's sort of a fantasy that some people have about the open relationship that it might solve some of their problems and I I quickly say to them, well, it requires a level of uh, emotional conversation that you may or may not be ready for. <laughs> There are degrees of success with the open relationship. In some ways, I say to people, all relationships are a little bit open. It just is all about, again, going back to my earlier point in the conversation about what you are comfortable with, what you need to feel special. (laughs) Yes, what you need to feel special. And really that changes from person to person. You know, maybe you don't care if your partner flirts with other people at parties. Maybe that doesn't bother you, but maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't bother you that your partner hangs out one-on-one with, if you're in a heterosexual relationship, opposite sex friends. Maybe that doesn't bother you. Maybe it does. There is no right or wrong in terms of any of these relationship configurations. And I suppose maybe that's what I would love to kind of wrap up this conversation with by saying, I know I've kind of introduced a really, a lot of really big concepts and ideas, but I really just want to get back to the idea of communicating your preferences and your needs, your desires, your feelings, whatever they are. And to really understand that there is no right or wrong way to do any relationship. In fact, I would say that that idea is definitely an outdated, well, maybe a lot of people in fundamentalist Christianity might disagree with me, uh, but that's fine. Uh, they, They definitely have a right way to do relationship and marriage and all of that. But as a psychotherapist and relationship coach, I'm going to advocate for the idea of secure attachment, which means that every person has their own unique constellation of needs and desires, and that it is your, gosh, I would say your journey on this planet Earthside to figure out how to communicate your needs for love in a way that doesn't hurt yourself or others, right? And that's that's the thing with affairs that I think is so painful for so many people is that I hear a lot of people say, like I had one wife say, I just wish I would have known. 
that he wanted blank or that she needed blank, right? Because maybe your partner is more responsive than you think, right? And and as we grow and change and evolve in relationships and as things change, part of our work as humans is to develop more and more language for what we need and for what we want and to become more and more articulate in that way. So in conclusion, I I just hope that today's conversation was maybe got your mind and heart going a little bit. And I would really just encourage you to think about, you know, what is it that you are needing and wanting in your relationship? What are you needing more of? How is it that you need to maybe strengthen the container of the relationship, right? As a therapist, I love the idea of the container. I think it's such a powerful idea. And the truth is that our relationship is a container for all of our vulnerability, which is why then betrayal can be so incredibly painful. So until next time, Zen Founder listeners, get in touch with those feelings. They are the keys to everything you've ever wanted. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.